0: I rise to speak in favor of New York values. (laughs) What a crazy election season. A campaign so bizarre and so distorted that Senator Cruz can make even Donald Trump seem sensible and even sweet. Our knight in shining armor riding out to defend the reputation of the city. You saw that, right? Or read about Ted Cruz's SmackDown of Donald Trump, that he embodies New York values? New York values, Cruz voters understood the reference. It's some sort of secret code that they employ to telegraph what they really mean when they don't want to say what they really mean. But since the rest of us didn't really get it, when pressed to explain what he meant by the phrase New York values, Cruz responded New Yorkers are socially liberal or pro-abortion, or pro-gay marriage, and are inclined to focus around money and the media. Hmm. (laughs) Money and the media. I'm just trying to think, where have I heard that before? Is it just me, am I overly sensitive, or did you also perceive something, I don't know, Vaguely, not so friendly to Jews, (laughs) with that comment, money in the media. Later, the campaign helpfully illustrated what they meant by New York values. New York City requires chain restaurants to post warnings on salty foods. What a mortal threat to the American way of life. Look, they even post calorie counts in restaurants. The audacity of letting people know what they're actually putting in their mouth. Leaving aside the fact that real Americans are not so real and that small towns often have big problems. New Hampshire has one of the gravest drug problems in the country. And leaving aside the hypocrisy, of the wife of an anti-New York values politician working at Goldman Sachs. (laughs) Goldman Sachs, the very embodiment of money in the media, whose very name, Goldman, reminds us of money, and whose staff is heavily populated by those people, you know, the kind who eat arugula and kale and avoid salt and count calories. And many of them don't like NASCAR. And they don't own RPGs or tanks to prevent home invasions. And leaving aside the hypocrisy that this anti-New York values politician took a million-dollar loan from said Goldman Sachs, And leaving aside that I bet you that many of the bankers that the cruise campaign has dealt with in New York, and many of the hotel and executive owners where he has stayed, and many of the actors, directors, and producers of the theater that he has seen, and many of the chefs in the restaurants where he has dined are socially liberal. Or, what I would say, I wouldn't call them pro-abortion, but pro-choice and support gay marriage. Who knows, some of them might even be gay themselves. (laughs) Leaving all that aside, what I want to ask is what are New York values? And what exactly is the problem with New York values? It's not that everyone here is a liberal. For heaven's sake, Ayn Rand, the paragon of conservative virtue lived and lo- lived in and loved New York City. We have elected conservative mayors, at least what used to be considered conservative. With all of the nationalities, ethnicities, and religions residing here, we tend to be tolerant, diverse, and pluralistic. What's wrong with that? Is there something un-American about tolerance and diversity? New Yorkers are pragmatists. We don't have time to be ideologues. We have to solve problems quickly. We have to get to work, find a cab, fight the crowds, jostle with all those aggravating anti-New York values tourists who gawk at us at the places where we work live and entertain. We can't live nine-to-five lives. We are in perpetual motion. What Ted Cruz finds threatening about New York is what keeps us going. It's the reason we live here. We don't want to put our lives on cruise control. I would also add that most New Yorkers don't want to put the country on cruise control either. Our first impression of New York is partially true. The city is crowded, noisy, and dirty. Rats, cockroaches, and bedbugs live here. They dine on our food and on us as well. When it snows in New York, be prepared. Life as we know it comes to a grinding halt, and the slushy remains dampen our spirits even days later. We can be impatient. Already in the 18th century, John Adams wrote about New Yorkers. They talk very loud and very fast and all together. If you ask a question before you can utter three words of your answer, they will break out upon you again and talk away. Non-New Yorkers interpret this as rudeness. Perhaps there is some justice to this impression, but then again, have you ever driven in Florida? (laughs) Or gone into some boutique shop in Charleston, South Carolina? People are so slow and so darn friendly. The salespeople follow you around from item to item that all you're thinking about is how soon can I get out of here without appearing like a rude New Yorker. When the cruise control crowd comes here, they simply can't adjust to the pace. In fact, they have created a new disorder for New Yorkers, previously unknown to medicine called sidewalk rage. You're walking to work, making good time, and suddenly someone steps in front of you moving like a turtle. Sometimes they snap a picture. Sometimes they even stop us and ask us to take their picture. Listen, that is so uncool in New York and they have no idea how to use an umbrella. (laughs) First impressions are not always the best impressions. At first, New York overpowers and overwhelms you. Like any lasting relationship, it takes time to adjust to her. You can lay your soul bare to her Give her everything you have and still she could be aloof and unforgiving. She taunts you, she teases you, she frustrates you, you hate her. But one day, after she has rejected and humiliated you and beaten you down, she'll notice you. And you swear that she smiled at you if only Mona Lisa's smile. And when she notices you, you realize you can't live without her. To live in New York is to live on the edge. New York is the place where the best and the brightest come. It's where ugly ducklings become swans. Their past is unimportant. The future is what counts. New York is aggravation frustration, alienation, irritation, complication, immoderation, speculation, inconsideration. But it's also celebration, inspiration, fascination, validation, elation. Art, culture, civilization itself emerged from The cities, and New York is the city of cities. New York is a haven of freedom and self-fulfillment. What's wrong with that? What's un-American about that? We vacation in the countryside. But we wouldn't dream of living there. What would we do there? We would die of boredom. We can't even get a good night's sleep there. It's too quiet. New York is exhilarating, intoxicating, rejuvenating. New York is high civilization, high culture, high fashion, high drama, high cuisine, high finance, high rises, high living. As Ayn Rand wrote, that paragon of conservative virtues, it's beauty and genius they want to see. Do they seek a sense of the sublime? Let them come to New York. What strikes me in every election is the divergence between urban voters and suburban and rural voters. Democratic strongholds tend to be in and around big cities. Republican majorities tend to live outside urban centers. And this gap between the city and the countryside is not actually new. They have often viewed each other with mutual suspicion and even animosity. In fact, the tension between the city and the countryside goes all the way back to antiquity. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They were sinful cities. The Hebrew prophets railed against the exploitation of the countryside. Even America's founding embodied this tension. Everyone's flocking to see Hamilton on Broadway. Maybe Senator Cruz saw it too. Alexander Hamilton loved this city and recognized its colossal potential. Hamilton envisioned the new country as a manufacturing giant. He supported central banks and a highly developed market economy with an elaborate bureaucracy to regulate contracts, property rights, patents, and inventions. Jefferson, Madison, and John Adams were distrustful of banks, credit, and stock markets. They envisioned America as essentially agrarian. They favored the slower rhythms of rural life and were suspicious of the unruliness of the city. Cities are the engine of society. Alexander Hamilton was right about that. For better or for worse, cities determine the destiny of great civilizations. It's one of the reasons that Jews tend to be concentrated in big cities. We are propelled by self and social improvement. Judaism is obsessed with social repair. And the driving force of social progress is cities. They produce many of the ideas and much of the wealth necessary to advance society. We believe that life is a great good gift and is intended to be enjoyed. And therefore we believe in a high work ethic and think nothing wrong of a high worth ethic. But cities are prone to imbalance. Sheer, raw, determined, single-minded pursuit of power influence and ego could easily distort the balance between the just and the unjust, between right and wrong, between vitality and destruction. And therefore, Jewish morality through the ages cautioned urban dwellers, be careful. Be careful not to get out of balance. Be careful that you are not devouring others in your admirable ambition to be as free, as prosperous, as self-fulfilled and as advanced as you possibly can. Knowing that cities can be corrupting, that people reside here for opportunity and advancement, they are ambitious and pursue power and wealth and status and prestige and come here because they want to be with other people who feel the same way. And knowing that cities often set the tone for the entire country, knowing all of this, There is a special importance to the struggle for justice here, in the cities. Not to eliminate the city, not to diminish the city, but to harness its energies for righteousness and greatness to bring out the full potential of the metropolis. To build capitals of decency, humanity, nobility, kindness, virtue, honor, conscience and goodness. And the Bible teaches us that even a very small minority in the cities – just ten people, just ten righteous people – can change the entire destiny. As Walt Whitman wrote, a great city is that which has the greatest men and women where the slave ceases and the master of slaves ceases, where speculations on the soul are encouraged, where the city of the faithfulest friends stands, where the city of the healthiest fathers stands, where the city of the best-bodied mothers stands, there the great city stands."